Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Thank you, Lord. We're talking about genuine faith. This is lesson number two. 1 Timothy chapter 1 is our main text. We're going to read that from the New Living Translation this morning. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. Notice, just a quick review, the three things he said are more important than anything else. It's almost like what Ecclesiastes tells us in the last chapter, chapter 12, that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, that's the end result. That's what we're looking for, the end result. He says, number one, make sure that you love from a pure heart. That's loving God, loving people, loving your spouse, loving your family, loving even your enemy. And then two, a clear conscience, that your conscience is clear because you're walking with God and you know you're walking with God and you're doing your best to walk in the light of his commandments, laws, statutes, and judgments. And thirdly, he said, genuine faith. Notice the term, genuine faith. Genuine faith is extremely important, and we're going to talk about why today. The next thing we talked about was our faith is important to God, so important. We gave you 20 verses of Scripture that talk about faith and its importance. If we rid ourselves of faith, we rid ourselves of a means by which we can please God because you can't please God. It's impossible without what? faith. It's impossible. And then what about this one of those 20? Without faith mixed with the gospel, the gospel profits no one. We don't benefit from it whatsoever. We can read it, we can memorize it, we can know it, but if we don't mix faith with it, it will not benefit us. It will not profit us in any way. So we can know what the word says, but we've got to mix faith with it to get a result. Third thing we talked about was the fact that faith has an author. And that's not me, and that's not you. Who's the author of our faith? Who's the finisher of our faith? Jesus is. And make sure you make a note of this. If he doesn't authorize it, he's not obligated to finish it. Did you get that? If he doesn't authorize it, in other words, if he doesn't tell you to do it, he's not obligated to finish it. So it's important we understand that our faith has an author. We've got to do what he says we're to do. And listen to what he tells us, which brings us to the next point. It's called imitation faith. Imitation faith is mimicking or imitating the faith of another. Remember when the Israelites were told to walk across the Red Sea on dry land? That was their act of faith. And they could do that because God said to go do it. He told the people to go forward, did he not? When the Egyptians essayed to do so, which means they attempted to do so, Did they have that directive given to them by God? No, their directive was what? Let my people go 
So what do they do? They attempt to act upon the same faith of the Israelites. The Israelites got all the way through to the end, but the Egyptians drowned. They were trying to mimic their faith. They were trying to imitate their faith. And we talked about how the seven sons of Sceva tried to, Sceva tried to imitate uh, the faith of Paul by casting out a devil, and they got beat up. So imitating someone else's faith is dangerous. You can get beat up or drown. Take your pick. We got to have our own genuine faith. And then we talked about Logos and Rhema. And so important. Talk a little bit more about that this morning. But Logos is the whole counsel of God. Thank God that we've been given the holy written word of God, which is the whole counsel of God. So we can learn about him, his character. We can learn about his redemption, his provision for mankind after his fall. We can learn about the end times and know what we can expect at the very end. But that's called the Logos, the whole counsel of God's word. But then there is the rhema, the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God, the word of God, which is a word spoken to us. Now God can speak to us in different ways, but he's speaking directly to us. And he's telling us what to do or showing us what we should do. That's called a rhema. Now in, as we continue our study, look in the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. We all know the scripture, but it doesn't come by just Faith doesn't come by just knowing it. It comes by hearing it over and over again. So then faith comes by how? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in other words, to have faith, we got to hear what God is saying. God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me by your spirit? What are you saying to me through your word? What are you saying to me possibly by your ministers? What are you saying to me Maybe by an angelic being or a dream or a vision or whatever. Whatever means he uses to communicate his thoughts to us. It's important that we hear what he's saying to us. Why? Because that becomes our basis for faith. Young people listen as well. You've got a life to live for Jesus Terry is coming. And that life that you live can either be on the path of light. That gets brighter and brighter more and more to the perfect day. Or darkness. That gets darker and darker more and more every day. The psalmist said, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'm going to walk on the path of light, not darkness. That means I've got to find out what God's word says about my life. By reading the counsel of God, the logos, and then in prayer, getting before God and saying, Father, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to go? What direction do you want me to go in? Who do you want me to marry? What school do you want me to go to? Et cetera, et cetera. I want what you want for my life. That's the way we have faith. We want to cross the Red Sea. We're going to face a lot of challenges. And we can be successful by doing what God says to do. And we can only have faith by hearing what God is speaking to us. I gave you some examples here. We can look at these examples. Look at the book of Exodus chapter 15. This is an example of a situation in the path of their lives where they had some contaminated water. They were thirsty, and they found a place for water, and it was contaminated. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Now notice. Bitter water, contaminated water. There's a tree, Moses, throw it into the water, and the waters will be 
decontaminated and fit for drinking. Okay. Do you ever hear sometimes on the radio where they tell you you've got to boil your water? They tell you that, uh, they say beaver water, midden water, whatever water is uh, contaminated. I, I dare you to call up the water company and say, just throw a tree in. <laughs> we don't have to boil water, just throw a tree in. What do you think they'll do to you? <laughs> Probably call <laughs> with a straitjacket somewhere to take you to a place where you can get help. Well, how many of you know that he didn't tell anybody else to do that but Moses on that occasion? Why did he have faith to do that? Because that was a directive. That was a rhema that God gave to him to do that. And he obeyed that rhema. He acted upon that. He had faith to do that. Now, you know as well as I do that a tree cannot decontaminate water. Who knows why it was contaminated in the first place? Was there a dead animal that was in it? And it was contaminated because of that? Just throw a tree in. I'm telling you, when God is in a situation, it doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter how bad the situation is. Praise God, he knows how to decontaminate water. And so, of course, it represents the cross of Christ. You throw the cross of Jesus into the troubled waters of human life, and what do you get? Victory. Look at the next one, Joshua. We all know the story. In Joshua chapter 6, they were facing the insurmountable situation of the walls of Jericho and the giants that were in the land to keep them out of the promises that God had for them. And ye men shall compass the city, all men of war, and go around the, about the city once. Thou shalt, this shalt thou, shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and rose would be a part of that. <laughs> right? That's what they were told to do. Now you tell that to some army superior that you've got this strategy for overcoming the enemy we're just going to gather together with our praise and worship team pull out our ram's horns and we're going to walk around the walls of the city we want to conquer and once again they would call for the same people to take you away but how many even know that no matter how difficult the situation is no matter how many walls are up how thick they are how impenetrable they are it does not matter when God gives you a rhema when God gives you a directive when God says march around those walls those walls have no chance they will come down praise God because the hand of God is in it but that became their what their rhema became their foundation for their faith they could do that at that time because that's what God said to do. The next one, you better get that ram's horn out again. Because this is, this is a time for shouting. Look at 2 Kings in chapter 4. Here is a widow woman who lost her husband. Who was involved in helping the prophets and working with the prophets of God. And the creditors came to take her two sons away. And take them into slavery to pay off the debt. And so she found the man of God, Elisha the prophet. And he sought the Lord about the situation, and he said to her, woman, what do you have? He was concerned about her two sons going into slavery to pay off the debt. He was concerned about them maybe never seeing their mother ever again, or her never seeing the sons ever again. So she says, all I got is a little cruise of oil. There's a little bit of oil in the cruise. That's all I have to my name. He says, okay, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors even empty vessels, borrow not a few, 
And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So here's a directive. She goes out and she finds as many vessels as she possibly can. These vessels are jars, containers, right? And so can you imagine someone knocking on your door? Have you got an empty vessel? Yes, here's one. Here's another one. How many do you have? I'll take all you have. Going from the next door to the next door neighbor, the next door neighbor, and getting all these vessels, getting them all together. And she goes about abroad, it says, and she went to every place she could possibly find in all the neighborhood and all the region. And she brought them back into her room and set them in the room. And he says, now go ahead and pour them out. Pour out this little bit of oil. And don't stop pouring. Of course, he did say, you sure there's not any more out there? I'm sure there's not any more out there. We, got, we collected everything we could possibly find. Okay. Because the only thing that's going to stop the miracle, the only thing that's going to limit it, is the number of vessels that you have. Now, I've had visions of this. I believe it was olive oil. And when we were in Italy and we saw these, it, my family's, they had an olive vineyard, my family's house, their home, their vineyard there. You talk about pure olive oil. My goodness, it was wonderful. But I can just see her pouring out this olive oil and filling every vat, every vessel, every jar, anything that they had, any container that she could find and fill them up to the top and finally, when she got to the last one, and the prophet said, are you sure there's no more? And there's no more. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, now go, sell the oil, and pay your debt, and live you and your children of the rest. Paid off all her entire debt, and had enough for retirement to live the rest of their lives hallelujah on the rest of the month now is that a God who's more than enough hallelujah imagine that you talk about more than enough to pay off your debt and then give you a retirement retirement as well goodness but you see we just can't do that unless we have a directive from the Lord so you can see my point. A rhema is a word spoken to you from God that gives you a foundation for faith. You could believe that God will do his part if we do our part. So whatever it is he tells us to do in our given situation, that becomes our personal rhema. That becomes our personal foundation for our faith. When we were in that burning room and he said, fear not, only believe, I'm telling you, my wife and I took that to heart. And every situation, every challenge that Andrew faced, and we faced with him, we responded to it with, we believe. Lord, they said that, but we believe. That became our foundation for faith. That became our rhema. He will not speak. We believe. He'll not be able to suck, swallow, and breathe. We believe. He'll have a feeding tube for the rest of his life. We believe. He'll never be in the right school. We believe. He won't drive a car. He won't do this. He won't do that. We believe. And the Bible says if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And the warning is he got a permit and he drives now. So... 
Although he doesn't really want to drive, but he has one. Now, let's look at the difference between faith and presumption. And by the way, as I say this, you cannot properly teach the subject of faith without teaching what I'm about to teach here. We need to understand the story of their coming out of Egypt and their ability to get into the promised land, but they're being denied to get into the promised land. We need to understand this because this is really what faith is all about. This is where we get an understanding of the message of faith, of the word of faith, how to appropriate faith in our lives. And for some reason, I don't know why it's been neglected and ignored within the body of Christ, but this is so essential. In the book of Exodus, a rhema was given to Moses. He was told exactly what God would do if they would do their part. Look at 23, 23, 20 through 23, New Living Translation. See, this is God speaking directly. I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey. Well, that's pretty good. And lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. That's good. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. That's responsibility. Is it not? But, and do not rebel against him for he is my representative. And he will not forgive your rebellion. Notice those words. But if you are careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies. Boy, would you like that? God to be an enemy to your enemies? And I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, so, so you may live there. And I will destroy them completely. Is that effectively communicated to the people? Do they get their rhema? Did God tell them what to do? Did he say what he would do if they would do their part? And so it was clearly communicated, right? I mean, you can't even misinterpret that in any way. Well, we know the story, and we know that they refused to do what God said to do. And so God judged them because they did rebel. They didn't hearken to the voice of the angel that spoke to them. They said we can't do it. They said there's giants in the land. There's walled cities. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But there's walled cities. There's giants. How many of you know the giants that were in the land were not the ones that kept them out? The true giants were the giants of fear, inferiority, guilt, sin consciousness. All those emotional giants kept them out of the land of promise. It wasn't the physical ones. It was the emotional ones. So God judged them as a result of their rebellion and not doing what he said to do. He said they'd be there and I'll drive them out. Did he mean what he said? Did he name the ones that would be there? The Jebusites, the Canaanites, and all these would be there. I will drive them out, so just go and take the land, he said, right? Well, they rebelled. Look at Numbers chapter 14 now, in verse 39 through 45, and this is the New Living Translation once again. So they were judged, and now when Moses reported the Lord's words, that's the judgment to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. Well, I guess if you were told you're going to die in the wilderness in four, after 40 years, 
you'd be filled with grief also. Then they got up early the next morning. Now they're a morning riser. And went to the top of the range of hills. Let's go. They said. We realize we sinned. But now we're ready to enter the land of the, the land the Lord has promised us. Man, they're gung-ho now. They repented. They're making a right confession of faith. We've sinned. We've done wrong. But now we're ready to obey. We're ready to go. But Moses said, why are you now disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Do not go up into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. When you face the Amalekites and the Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you have abandoned the Lord. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country, even though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them back as far as Hormah. Figure this out. I have a hard time figuring this thing out. Let's see. I'll go with you and drive them out. We're afraid. The Lord's not going with you and won't drive them out. Let's go take them. Isn't that mindless? Look at verse 44 in the King James. But they presumed to go up unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Now, notice in your notes, I gave us a definition of presumption. Because you see, imitation faith doesn't work, and neither does presumption. Its behavior perceived as arrogant, disrespectful, and transgressing the limits of what is permitted or appropriate. So in other words, in arrogance, they were saying, doesn't matter if he goes with us or not, we can do it. Think about that. We're just going to do the right thing right now. We're going to confess the right confession. We're going to say the right thing, and etc., etc. Presumption is not faith. If the Lord is not in it, we can confess until we're blue in the face. We've never taught that confession works that way. When God gives us a directive, we can act on that directive, and we can say what God said, and we will get God's results. These people two times rebelled and did not do what God said do. Did not confess what God said to do. Or to confess. And as a result, they died in the wilderness. Now, look at, we're not going to read it. <laughs> it's, it's too much. Psalm 91. To give you an example. I confess Psalm 91 every day. So, I can have protection. And we all should. You don't have to memorize the whole thing, but just believe that he is your, thank him for his presence, his power, his peace, his promises, provision, and protection every day of your life. I thank you for your presence in my life, your power, your peace, your promises, provision, your protection every day. And so as I'm just going through day, I'm saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm divinely protected because I dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And let's just say that we go somewhere, someplace that we're on vacation or wherever. And I want to take a, maybe a stroll in the evening time and whatever. And I'm walking down the, st starting to walk down the street. I'm looking 
far ahead of me. I just see some activity going on down there. And I say, um, I'm just going to go ahead and take a walk down here. And the Lord speaks to my heart and says, don't go. But I say, well, I dwell in the secret place of the Most High, but under the shadow of the Almighty. I say, Lord, you're my refuge and fortress in God. And I keep on walking down that road and walking on down that road and walking on down that road and walking on down that road. And by the time I get to the end of the road, I get mugged and robbed. Do I get up from that place and start walking back and saying, confession doesn't work. Faith doesn't work. Confession doesn't work. Faith doesn't work. Confession doesn't work. Oh, no, wait a minute. Confession of faith does work. And when the Lord spoke to me and said, don't go down that road. I should have said, I'm divinely protected by the hand of God and I'm not going down that road. That's the rhema. That's the spoken. See, I'm acting on the logos, the general revealed will of God as I proclaim and declare what the word says about my safety and protection. But if he speaks, speaks to my heart by his spirit, gives me a witness that I should not do it. What should I do? Not do it. Don't go down that road. It wasn't God who failed me. I'm the one who failed God. God didn't fail them. They failed God. They did what he said not to do. They didn't do what he said to do. So as you can see then, confession of faith is based on the reality of God's word communicating to us either directly by his spirit or being quickened by the spirit as we read the logos. And those two things. We're only going to get through the rhema today but we'll talk about the logos maybe next week well two weeks notice now as we look at this in the book of numbers this is what we have to understand this story that represents what faith is all about in the book of numbers 10 spies went to spy out the land that were in unbelief two spies were in faith unbelief seems to be the majority Faith seems to be the minority. Can we see that? Okay, as we talk about this experience, let's relate to it in our lives today. Here we have God telling them in Exodus, go to the land and you'll see to it that I will, I'll see to it that I get you in by sending an angel before you who will drive out the inhabitants of the land, right? That's what he told them in Exodus 23 that we saw. So, these 12 spies are going to spy out the land. Let me also start by saying this. There's controversy as to who sent those spies to spy out the land. If you read Numbers, it seems like God sent them. If you read Deuteronomy, it seems like the people demanded it. Moses said okay, and basically maybe God just reluctantly said, if that's what you want, go ahead and do it. Remember when they wanted a king and God says, I don't want you to have a king. But they said, we want a king. We want a king. But we want to be like other nations. We want a king. He said, you want a king? Have a king. But with the king, you're going to get everything else that goes with the king. And they regretted it. But anyhow, I believe the best way to see this is that way. God already told them, I'm going to drive them out. God already told them it's a land of promise. God already told them there's fruit of the land. In that land you'll be blessed beyond words and beyond measure. But I'll be the one to drive out all your enemies from before your face, right? What's there to spy out? What's there to find out? Was God a liar? No. But it seems like in Deuteronomy's account of it is the right account. And I pulled up something off of Torah.com where from a 
Hebrew perspective that this was given, and this is exactly what they think as well, that it was the people insisted on going to spy out the land. They brought it to Moses who said, okay, that's what you want to do. And they don't even think that there's any proof that, they, that he sought the Lord on it. But if he did, the Lord just reluctantly says, go, do what you want to do. So with that in mind, let's read Numbers. First of all, the 10 unbelieving spies, when they got to the promised land, remember this, had they gone, had they not gone to the promised land to spy out the land, there would have been no basis for their fear. There would have been no basis for their unbelief at that point. None at all. Can you see that? They just would have showed up and didn't see anything. God would have got them in. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came to the land whither thou sentest us and surely it flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. God told them that. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites. Didn't God tell them all that? And the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Caleb tried to steal the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and possess it for we're well able to overcome it. But the men ignored him that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Notice that statement. We be not able is their confession of faith. Their confession of faith was in their inability to take the land. For the people are stronger than we. They were looking at themselves. They were looking at their own abilities. The people are stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. In other words, they'll eat, they'll, they'll eat us for lunch. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so were we in their sight. These are the ten spies that went out to spy out the land. This is what they said, okay? Their faith was not in what God said. Their faith is, was in what they saw. Look at the next comment. Look at Numbers 14, verses 11 and 12. And it would behoove you and all of us to read all this together. We're not going to take time to read it all today, but look at what God said. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people provoke me? He's taking this personally. And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them. And the signs he's talking about. The ten miraculous things that took place in Egypt as they came out. The fire by day. The, the, the cloud by day. The fire by night. The man that came down from heaven. The water came out of a rock. God's divine presence. They're protecting them from the enemy as they, as they began to pursue. Angels. Angelic beings setting up a, a barrier between them and the enemy. And so on. They saw all this action of God take place. But yet still he said, I've showed all these signs. Look at verse 12. I will smite them. Oh, and the Lord with the pestilence and disherit them. And the Lord said to Moses, how long? 
will it be before they believe me? I'll smite them with the pestilence, disinherit them, and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. Hold on just for a moment. Look how angry God is when people don't believe him. Oh my goodness. He wants to now start a new nation. They violate the covenant. They don't want to believe me. They're rebellious. They don't listen to a thing I say. Sounds like our kids, huh? <laughs> I'm going to disinherit them and make up a, a new nation. Well, look at verses 22 and 23. Because all those men, because all those men, because, here's the reason why, all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times that have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Now that's pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? God was angry with them. Judgment fell upon them. And he made it very clear that because of your unbelief, you will not see the promised land. Look at the next verse 26 through 29. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which murmur against me, saying to them, as surely as I live, saith the Lord. You know how long he's been alive? He's the ancient of days. No beginning, no end. He's been alive for a long time. As truly as I live, saith the Lord. As you have spoken in mine ears. We know he has ears. We know he hears. Notice this. So will I do to you. They judge themselves. So will I do to you. And he goes on to say, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward. Thank God I'm 19. <laughs> Can you see all the 19 year olds going, ah, next week's my birthday. <laughs> Glory to God. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Which have murmured against me, all them will die in the wilderness. Wow. Okay. But here's my point. What were they confessing this whole time? What were they saying this whole time? From the moment God said, I'll get you to the promised land, what did they say? We better find out who's in the land. There might be big giants. There might be wolves. You, you never, I heard about this place, this Jericho place. And who knows all the murmur, but they murmured, they complained. Complained about the water. It's too hot. It's too cold. Complained about the air conditioning, you know, and all, and all the heat and all that. And there's just so much that's going on. And they're complaining about this, complaining about that, murmuring and murmuring and murmuring. And finally, they got to the 
right there at the edge of the promised land, they could have just gone in, they said, we can't do it. We can't do it. The problem is bigger than we are. The enemy's greater than we are. They're trusting in themselves. They have yet to learn to trust God, even though all the signs and the wonders and all the things that took place, mark it down. Signs, wonders, and miracles can bring us to the promised land, but signs, wonders, and miracles won't get us into the promised land. It's believing God by faith that gets us into the promised land. And so they were judged. And look at the next verses. And the men which Moses sent to search the land, reluctantly, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur. Does it sound like God wanted this to happen? The men that came back and said, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. Now remember this, they're like sheep that's out there, and these are their leaders. We can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. And when Caleb says, wait, don't, don't, don't talk like that. Yeah, who are you? Be quiet. We can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. And all the people are on the bandwagon. The majority is not always right. And made all the congregation murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land. Even those men did bring up the evil report upon the land. Died by the plague before the Lord and before all the people. Now those ten spies, and you've heard me say this before, maybe some of you haven't. You know, my teaching brain says one day, I wonder what plague they died by. What was the plague that they died by? So I looked it up in my John Gill's commentary. And I didn't bring it out to read it to you today, but here's a, just basically a summary of what it says. That the Jews believed that the righteous retribution that they suffered was worms ate out their tongues and jaws and their navel, heart and mouth. Heart and mouth. What you believe in your heart and say with your mouth is your faith speaking. And because those leaders were leaders that preached and taught doubt and unbelief and caused all the people to murmur against the living God, they were instantly judged and their mouth, their tongues and jaws were eaten out by worms and their heart, their gut eaten out by worms. Yuck. Imagine that. Think that through. And yet you got people saying here today, there's this business with faith confessions and all that are meaningless. They don't mean it. Really? He said, as you spoke in my ears, I'll do to you. So what do you want his ears to hear coming out of your mouth? May I ask you? What does he want to hear from my mouth? They died by the plague before the Lord. And he says, I will give you what you said. And what did Jesus teach in Mark eleven twenty three? If you believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth, it'll come to pass just as you said it. And that's exactly what happened to them. So let's go to point two, and we'll bring it to a close. The two believing spies, two believing spies were named Caleb and Joshua. So look at Numbers 13, 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. What in the world is this faith lunatic thinking? 
What do you mean? Caleb, are you out of your mind? The majority of our leaders say that we can't. They're too big, they're too strong, the cities are too walled, etc., etc. You're out of your mind. Let us go up and take the land at once. We're not just able, we're well able to take the land. Look at chapter 14, verses uh, 6 through 9. This is both of them together, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephana, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, not with them. So fear them not. And the next verse says, and they delighted in all that. No, the next verse says they picked up stones to stone these faith people to death. And, if, and they would have, if it were not for God, put up a shield between them. You realize that? You can read the next verse. That's what it says. Oh, and the Lord was so angry with them. Why? Because they spoke their faith. What they believed, they said. But remember this. What they said was not based on what they thought. What they said was based on what God said. God said, I'll drive out the Hittites. I'll drive out the Jebusites. I will drive out whoever the ite that is in there. And I will be an enemy to your enemy. And so they said, we're well able to do it. We can do it. But of course, they refused. Now look at um, chapter 14, 24, and then 30. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land, whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Does God watch over his word? Does God know who's speaking his word and who's not? Does God know who's honoring him? He didn't just classify Caleb among the rest. Look at verse 30. This is powerful here. Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein. Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Notice the expression I swear. You might have this in your margin of your Bible. You know what it actually says? I lift up my hand and swear by myself. What? In a court of law, when they tell you, do you promise to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God? Hold your, put your left hand on the Bible, put your right hand up and swear. And as a Christian, you say, well, I, I agree to it, but I'm not swearing by anything. But God, the creator of the universe, since there's no one greater, lifted up his hand and said, I swear by myself to get you in that promised land. I swear I'll be an enemy to your enemy. I swear you will not be defeated. And because Joshua believed it and Caleb believed it, they will get in. Now look at these verses here real quick. Luke, I want to show how far reaching. Genesis 22, first of all. Genesis 22. And the angel called uh, of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing, I'm going to make you a great mighty nation and all that. Okay, look in Luke's gospel to see how far reaching it is. 
to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God more willing, willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise. You know you're an heir of promise? You're missing something here. You are an heir of a promise that God swore by an oath to. The immutability or unchangeableness of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong faith who have fled for refuge to lay a hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil. In other words, your soul, my soul, mind, will, emotions, and intellect, we're faced with the reality of this world. We're faced with the reality of what God said. The world, the devil, and the flesh are pulling us this way, and God is pulling us that way, and we're going back and forth. But God said, and but the world says, God said, but my body says. God said, but the doctor says. God says, but the economists say. God says, but the weatherman says. And the list goes on and on. And we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Till one day we grow up a little bit and we learn that, wait a minute. I'm going over here on what God said. God said. Does it matter what man said? Does it matter what my body says? Does it matter what the devil says? Does it matter what anyone else says? When God says, I am your shield and exceeding great reward, and I will get you into your promised land. Does it matter how big the walls are? Does it matter how big the giants are? Does it matter what anyone or anything else says? See, faith is learning these truths and recognizing how serious faith is with God. He wants us to believe in his integrity. And he says, I can't lie. And you know how they said, J Joshua and Caleb said, the enemy's bread for us, their defenses have departed from them. Did you know that that was an absolute fact? And we'll pick that up and talk about that. That's a fact. Their defenses departed from them. And they were ready to concede the land. But the Israelites didn't go in to take the land for 40 years. Even though the people were ready to give it up. They already conceded to defeat. All right, let's finish this in Hebrews. And in verse 30, I'm sorry, let's, I want to read that Numbers 14.30 first. Let's read 14.30. Because remember the 10 spies that died by the plague? Their tongues were eaten out. Doubtless you shall not come to the land which concerning us where to make you dwell therein, except. Would you rather be the rule here or the exception to the rule? Hmm? Not a trick question. Let me reword it. Would you rather die by worms eating out your tongue and jaws and navel? Or would you rather enter into the promised land with Caleb and, J and Joshua? Save Caleb the son of Joshua, uh, son of Jephanda, and Joshua the son of Nun. Those two are the only two. Out of all those two and a half million people, 19 and under, and Joshua and Caleb, those are the ones, the leaders. Ah, I've been accused. You preach faith. Yeah, I do. Would you rather unbelief? Would you rather me preach doubt and unbelief and how we can all have our 
tongues cut out? Well, never mind. <laughs> now to show you how important this is. And we're going to read this just to show you how important this is. Why is this a major theme? Because right here, Hebrews chapter 3, this is why. And we'll close it with this. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, how does faith come? And if the Holy Ghost said something, I'm supposed to hear what he's saying. Well, what did he say? Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Ooh, he swore. He made another oath, didn't he? Take heed, brethren, therefore, lest therefore be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Or what he said. But exhort one another daily. While it is called today. Lest any man of you heart be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that's called unbelief. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today if you will hear his voice harden not your hearts. As in the provocation. For some when they had heard did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of the walled cities. Because of the giants in the land. Because the devil's too big. Because of all the circumstances are bigger than. Why couldn't they get in? Unbelief. What are we believing for today? Get a hold of a verse of scripture. Find out what God said. Either hear his voice or get the logos and meditate it until it becomes alive, a living thing. And when that happens, you have your rhema. And you can hold fast your confession of faith without wavering. And God will get you into your promised land. So look at Psalm 19 and we'll close it. Verse 13. Genuine faith is not imitation faith. It is not presumption. It is not acting on what God told somebody else to do. It's doing what God has told us to do in our situation. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Oh, they transgress because of presumption. I don't want to presume anything. What about you? I want to know what God said to do and act upon what God said to do so that we can all get into our promised land. Hallelujah. And there's a lot more to this, so we're going to pick it up as time goes on. Praise and worship team, come on up here. Praise God. I pray this is feeding your spirit some things. Hallelujah. Confession is not aimless. Confession of God's word is not just mimicking somebody else or manufacturing what someone else said, acting on somebody else's uh, command or rhema. We can't go jump into the Ohio River seven times and get healed is the point. Come on up here. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. I'm telling you, this gets us into our promised land. Let's all stand together before the Lord.